Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to this third season of On Brand With. The idea behind this podcast has always been to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences and stories of me and my guests. One of the things I've learned over the years is that we all have a story to tell and over the coming episodes I'll be chatting to some more people that I know and admire and some that I don't know and I'll be asking them to share their stories and how they use their personal brands to really make an impact. We'll be exploring what best practice looks like in the real world. So let's begin. Hello there. This episode is going out the first week in January 2022, so a happy new year as well if you are listening to it as it's released. So my first guest of the year is Richard Burhouse, founder of Magic Rock Brewing, which is based in Huddersfield and now owned by Lion, one of the largest food and drink organisations in Australia. Now, I met Richard when he was on the panel of Huddersfield Business Week and I was invited to host the discussion. And full disclosure up front, I'm not a beer drinker, uh, but I've always been attracted by the Magic Rock brand. I think the logo, the imagery is incredibly um, attractive and I love what the brand stands for. So that's why I invited Richard to be on the podcast Now, whether you are a beer lover yourself or even a magic fan or not, there are lots of parallels that can be taken from this conversation. Richard has a clear passion for his product, but also his people and the way they go about business. I particularly loved his take on the importance of community. And I know this is something that we've talked about on the podcast before, but the importance of uh, beer when it comes to drinking in an environment when there is a community spirit and a community angle to it rather than just drinking at home. Oh, and I have to say he's also a Huddersfield Town fan and we had been talking about football and cricket before I turned on the mic and we continued as we started once I hit record on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, let's talk about our joint love of Huddersfield Town first and then we'll get on to Magic Rock and mm-hmm. your story, Richard. But um, how does it feel seeing your business brand all over the uh, ground of the club that you love so much? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, I still have to sort of pinch myself when I look across uh, that we managed to get it done, really. I was, I've been sort of... Uh, been involved with the club in a business sense for probably the last five years I would say and then personally as well a friend and I went halves on a box as well so we've been in and around the sort of business side of things always with a view with a foot in the door you know if we could ever get the beer in there um, we'd be well placed for it but obviously it's not been easy with the way the stadium ownership and and, yeah. and you know who makes the decisions around product and stuff have, has historically been until recently yeah so one I was I was just really 
really chuffed that we managed to get it done. I thought I didn't think it would happen really that it ever happened because of the way um, the ownership is is so uh, convoluted, really, for want of a better it's complex, way. Isn't it? It's complex, isn't it? It's complex. So even if the club and and you know. Um, Sean, the old commercial director and stuff, who we were friendly with it. We tried to do stuff together, but ultimately we needed the product in the stadium. So to finally make it happen, you know, it's and then to go the extra step and brand all that stand up was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, just to be able to drink the beer in there is is amazing, really. Yeah, I didn't think I'd, I'd ever see the day, but yeah, it's wonderful. The stand looks fantastic, though, doesn't it? Really, I don't know, somehow the branding, because it is so bold, it just fits the stand so beautifully. Yeah, credit to our designer, Rich uh, Norgate. He, he's not really a football fan, but he's a very good designer. And uh, I think he's, he's done an amazing job with the brief. Obviously, the design of the stand matches the can and the clip design we've done for Town Lager, which is the rebadged Magic Lager that we sell in all the tap rooms. But we thought, you know, we'd really like to... Um, establish the product there with a, di- a different brand and, and um, hopefully people are enjoying it. You know, I certainly am when I go down. <laughs> Do you know if any of the <clears> players <throat> drink it? I've got no idea. I mean, I, I don't imagine they're allowed to have any, I don't really, know. I don't know. know what the rules is. No, right? The club have been great, to be honest. We had a Q&A with um, Carlos, the manager, and, and I think there were three of the players came down to the tap room uh, the other week. And I don't yeah. think... I think that just wasn't on the cards a few years ago. It would have been like, no, not not at all, no chance. They're yeah. not coming to anywhere with alcohol. Or so yeah. it feels like they've, they're trying to engage with the the local community. And and I think um, Ian Burtwell, the commercial director, has been fantastic with us. You know, I've helped me and Chris, our um, sales um, on trade sales manager for the UK, sort of did did the deal with him and got to know him. And he's been brilliant. You know, really feels like they've gone the extra mile. To, to accommodate us and yeah I applaud them really for what they've done with it it's great but it's, it's funny you say that because um, I mean I think they've always been really good in the community as a club mm-hmm. and um, from the Huddersfield Town Foundation but I know we've just been talking off Mike about having uh, children a similar age and my son's in year 10 and learning Spanish and they actually had some of the players because Carlos and a lot mm. of his team are Spanish for those that um, aren't Huddersfield Town fans. Uh, they actually brought in uh, one of the assistant managers and Pepe, and they actually taught a Spanish lesson Fantastic. with their kids at Honey High School, which I just think is fabulous. Yeah, you know, they'll remember that, won't they? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I've no idea if that happens at other championship clubs. You imagine it doesn't, don't you? But maybe it does. But it's brilliant. Yeah, it's um, it, it's that sort of thing. I think they need to do to sort of. Uh, establish their identity and show what sort of a, a town and it's like that Huddersfield isn't it it's not quite big enough that or or it's small enough that people seem to know each other from all parts of the town and, yeah. and there's always a connection somewhere you know someone will know your neighbour or they'll know your grandma or, or something <laughs> and I think they're doing a really good job of, of that sort of getting that community feel going you know because that's that's the sort of club it is really and needs to be I think so. Yeah, I think that's very much, it's interesting, um, one of the first guests I had on was Dave Threlfall Sykes, mm-hmm. the, the media director, I don't think he's called that, I'm sorry David if <clears> I've got that wrong, but um, he was talking about how as a brand, you know, we were talking about how really your, your football club is the ultimate brand because you buy into it, don't you, and you buy into the values and how certainly at Huddersfield they created that family atmosphere and a couple of years ago we all had the clackers and, you know, the atmosphere that that's, it, it sort of impacts on all areas of, that is all areas that are connected with the club. 
Yeah, I think it's it is the identity of the place, isn't it? You know, and mm. I think smaller town, one one club towns like us, and you know Blackburn, Burnley, mm. those sort of places. It, the football club's even more important. You know, it is the identity of the place, really. When people think of, it's probably the only time a lot of people see Huddersfield mentioned, <laughs> isn't it, from other parts of the country? It's when they see the football scores or, or um, yeah, the sports page, the sports pages or whatever. So it's, I think it's really important that that it represents where we are as a place, really. And I think, I think you know, I don't. More the more of that that happens, the better. Because obviously the town centre needs some help, doesn't it? It's not the place mm. it felt like when we were growing up, and and that's no not dissimilar to lots of other places of the same size. There's the bigger things at play there, but I think the way to get it going is to is to chip into that local community spirit and give people pride back in their own in, in their own town. They're the only ones who are going to make it worth visiting again. You know, yeah. it's, I think often the council feel like it this should be a magic wand and you bring a big company in and everyone will want to come here. But I don't think it really works like that. I think you need to give people the responsibility of building it back and the pride in their in their own town. And, and that's how you do it, I think. You know, they need to be offering cheap rents and free Wi-Fi and free parking. And they need to be bold and, and get people back in. Local businesses are what are what people want to visit, aren't they? We're in, in Home Firth now doing this and I was just looking on the way in at the amount of small businesses that are opening up and it's fantastic to see, you know, and that needs aping in the town centre, doesn't it? And then yeah. people will feel ownership and they'll be down there yeah. using it. Absolutely, and I think um, it's about everybody's responsibility, actually. Yeah. This is one of those things that everybody thinks, oh, well, is it the council? Who, who You know, who's responsible? But it's about people taking ownership of it. Yeah. And I think so often people can have an opinion but they, they don't do anything about it and it is about people shop you know even at the smallest level it's about shopping local and I think one of the good things from the pandemic obviously not from a hospitality point of view but certainly when we were in lockdown I think a lot of the local villages and the local businesses did a lot better and um, I was chatting to our, our local MP Jason McCartney and he was saying when he went down to London it was just heartbreaking because you would walk through, you know, the city and, you know, all, all the shops were closed. There was just nobody there. It was like a ghost town. Yet actually the local villages were thriving. Yeah, it's obviously a bit more of a commitment to get into central London, isn't it? And I know this, the city's the first place everyone leaves when they need to work from home because a lot of that's probably socialising anyway. And, mm. and, and um, you know, it's not necessarily desk work. And, and so they it's easy for them not to commute. There'll be a lot of people of high net worth in the yeah, city as well. Yeah. It's very easy for them to stay in the houses, isn't it? But I think, obviously, around here, you're right. I think there was maybe maybe the parallels up here were that people weren't necessarily venturing out into Leeds or Manchester as much to socialise. They would mm. stay more locally. And mm. I think all the villages in the local area feel like they're in, in, in growth again, really. Feel like yeah. they're being regenerated. Honley's doing great. Obviously, mm. the Combe Valley's unrecognisable from 20 years ago. Absolutely, yeah. Flathwaite and Marsden Slough, sorry. Um, <laughs> and Home Firth, another case in point, you know, things used to churn very quickly in Home Firth mm. and nothing had stayed open for any amount of time. But it feels now like there's a few good businesses that, that aren't going anywhere. You know, so the, the banks might be shutting, but then... You know, there's Lou and Joe's Burger or whatever, or there's Harvey's mm -hmm. Wine Bar down there, and there's O'Brien's Craft Beer mm -hmm. Shop and, and Magic Rock Tap that we're in now. And I think all the villages are being repurposed, aren't they? And I think the town centre needs to look at that and say, well, 
I think people would come would put the businesses in the town centre as well, but obviously comparatively it's expensive to do it at the moment, which is a nonsense because it's not a better experience being in the town centre than it is being in the village. So yeah. the landlords, the councils, whoever need to get together and, and sort of you know, offer people um, premises and support and services that are appealing and I think businesses will follow. Yeah, it's that longevity of the relationship as well, isn't it? So if you get people in, it's looking at what else that brings in and, the, yeah. you know, the impact that has. So you've just said about the closing of the bank. So we're in the old bank building, aren't we? So let's talk about Magic Rock. Um, so if I confess, this is my first time in the home for building because I'm not a beer drinker. So uh, I've not been in, although I've just had a fabulous cup of coffee. Um, so... Tell us about the decision to, well, no, let's start right from the beginning. So you've got the fabulous <clears throat> uh, brewery as well in the town centre as well mm -hmm. that um, I think a lot of people go on a match day, don't they? But you have some fabulous events as well as being open during the uh, calendar year. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, um, so the, the business in the, uh, the brewery at Birkby, at the Birkby site, we moved down there in 2015. But the business actually started in 2011, and that was in an old outbuilding of, of um, my father, my father's business, my family business, which is up, up at Oaks at, at uh, Quarnby mm -hmm. area. And that was an importer and wholesaler of rocks, crystals, minerals, natural gifts, as well as um, jewellery, bits for making jewellery and stuff. So quite an unusual business. But he'd, he'd founded that in the 60s um, and had, had sort of, um, you know, built it into a reasonable size wholesale kind of cash and carry odd business you know but but perhaps the biggest one in the country that did that specific mm -hmm. thing and the rocks and crystals were great obviously for our family and that's why I thought when I started the brewery I should should um honor the sort of name and give it a bit of uh some roots really so is that where magic rock that's came why from? it's called magic rock yeah because because you know we were we were in an outbuilding at that site initially yeah. for the first four years so it it just made sense that if people looked into the name there'd be a bit of history um, yeah, and the, the business came about through a love of beer, really. Uh, that's, the sh that's the short version. I, I tried to sell beer online for a couple of years. That didn't really go anywhere, so mm -hmm. that was a bit of a failure. But it gave me the, the contacts and the, the sort of um, ideas of how I might market it and, mm -hmm. and a sort of insight into the, the way the beer world was going. And I, I could see this American uh, craft beer was getting more and more popular um, and thought, you know, this is this is what people will be interested in, and and I was obsessed with the product as well. I loved mm. it. You know, I absolutely loved the really hoppy American beers, and I loved the conceptually how different they were to the the beer scene in the UK, which was quite yeah. tradition rooted in tradition, really, which I love as well. You know, yeah. I mean, I've sort of come full circle now. Happiest drinking a pint of Landlord or <laughs> or our Ringmaster cask beer, <laughs> cask beer or something, but but the American beers really sort of uh, spoke to me because it. It was contemporary. It was much more youthful in its approach. You know, interesting iconography and design. So that was to... the brand as well as the product then? Yeah, yeah, it had to be the full package. I felt yeah. that that I'd really got into beer after the after the birth of our two children, Abby and Thomas. Thomas was born in uh, 2017. And I think after you have kids, your sort of private time is a little <laughs> bit more valuable maybe. And... And so when I'd meet up with friends once a month or whatever it was, we would I, I, we'd go out to different 
towns and cities actually looking for different beers, which sounds really train spotterish, doesn't it? I mean, we just I'm not passing judgment. <laughs> <laughs> we just knew we liked liked yeah. uh, beer, and and there were this the you know the pubs and bars of West Yorkshire are very good for beer anyway. They always have been, yeah. and so I suppose it just gave it a bit more structure. We get the train over to Sheffield or whatever and see what the pubs are like there. But out of that grew a sort of interest in why are some better than others, and well, I like that one a lot better than that one. So yeah. I, I would I looked into it a lot, and that led to me going on a, a brewing course, only only a short one, like a three three day course. Uh, to learn a bit more about how it's made, why why it tastes like it does, and yeah, the rest the rest followed on really. I suppose it felt like I'd got to a point with it where I was ob- obsessed enough that I'd either got a drinking problem <laughs> or I needed to start a business and do something <laughs> with the, with the knowledge and with the passion for it. And yeah, yeah it was the, it was the latter. So, did you ever have a go at you know the brewing kits when you were younger? I've done some homebrew yeah. kits, yeah, yeah, but I think as soon as you've done one, you realise it's not the same as commercial brewing, you know. And I, and I know the reasons why that is now because because it is um, quite a nuanced process. You know, you mm. can do the basics of it quite easily, like you can make cheese or whatever at home yeah. as well, but it's not going to taste like it, it as good as it is done commercially. And yeah. actually, some homebrew is very good, but the, it's it's good when it's given a lot of attention by people who practice and practice and practice you know to do it it's not easy to do it from a kit and and have you'll get something drinkable but it's not going to taste as nice as as a commercial product it's funny actually I was in Manchester um because so well two questions on that then so I I was sort of grew up over the other side of the Pennine so I grew up in Manchester and I can remember the sort of micro breweries starting to appear and and it was a real scene wasn't it and they had some fabulous restaurants built around the actual breweries as well but I'd been to um a a co-working space a couple of weeks ago and I was chatting to a guy behind the bar and I I love my coffee and can be a bit snooty about my coffee I like a good cup of coffee and we're very lucky aren't we locally as well (laughs) and um he was telling me when you say about the nuance of you know getting it just right and I was saying oh it's a bit like wine I said and in my day I could spot my gins you know I knew what it was I was drinking and he said but it really is sort of the tiniest tiniest margin that makes the difference between a good cup of coffee and a great cup of coffee and he was telling me that coffee is more so than wine you know that the 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 fine oh I don't know I'm going out of my uh out of my area of expertise here, but the the fine um, margins of mm. of ingredients are absolutely minuscule when it comes to coffee. So I assume beer getting something really fabulous is similar, is it? Yeah, I mean, I I think the parallel there is probably uh, that you serve a coffee fresh, don't you? Mm. And same with beer with, with a draft dispense system. It introduces a whole new raft of things that have to be just right. Mm. And the main main one of those is freshness. Right. You know, and it's the same with coffee. You know, if you have a bad coffee that's really bitter, it's usually because they haven't cleaned the machine out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, or yeah. they've run they, they've run the hot water through the grounds twice. You know, it's just lazy stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. it's the same with a draft beer. If it tastes bad, it's because it's because they don't clean the lines regularly enough or the beer's been on too long. And and similarly, 
a packaged a packaged beer product is a lot more stable and that's probably why your analogy with wine works because you don't really get wine on draft do you you open it and pour it but if you opened a bottle and left it on the side for three hours yeah. it's not going to taste it's the not going to work is it but it doesn't taste as good if you have half a bottle the next night does it you can yeah. tell it started to oxidize and i think those most of it's kind of common sense but until it's pointed out to people they don't really understand and beer is seen as quite a simple thing when actually the the production is very complicated it it's it's about problem solving in the main, um, especially on a smaller scale when you have lots of products. There's myriad ingredients, uh, so you've got problems of supply, problems of freshness, and and then um, hygiene comes into it massively as well. So beer is effectively sugary liquid that you ferment. Well, any bacteria loves sugary liquid, so you've got it's. They always say 90% cleaning, really, in the brewing world. And it's a lot of cleaning. You know, you're basically using um, caustic and and chemicals to clean tanks out until they're, you know, you could eat your dinner off them. (laughs) They've got to be completely clean. And then the beer is fermented in them. And if there's any ingress at all, that's when you get flavour problems down the line. And I I can taste it in in some of the smaller breweries, uh, beers in the area. And and Mm. I used to be able to taste it in hours before we got better equipment and it's it's obviously um not that well known with some drinkers because they put up with it i think mm. because there's alcohol in there you, it's sort of uh, a beer is uh, fulfilling its its promise to you if it, if it gives you the alcohol yeah. but i can you know i kind of know too much now which is which sometimes is a bit of a curse really because i'll get a beer wanting to enjoy it and i'm like nah i'm yeah. not drinking that because I can tell it's got an off flavour in it, and um, you've been spoiled. I've been, you? yeah, and I think it'll be the same with the with the guy with the coffee. I think once mm. you really look into stuff, he he'll know why and what's wrong, and he wouldn't have it in his, so he's not going to drink it in that. And yeah. sometimes it's it, it's kind of better the devil, you know. Is that is that the that the phrase? You know, you're better off not knowing. Sometimes Absolutely. The full detail. Well, you, you'll know why in in the village that we have Oliver and Katie have been guests on the podcast, and they always say to me, you know, it's about the temperature, it's about everything, and how. I mean, my big bugbear is that um, I like strong coffee, and I love it when we go on holiday, you know, and you go to France or Spain, mm. and you can really taste the coffee. Um, but it, it's been watered down for our taste here, and they were saying that quite often you know, most people go in and ask for a half shot or a lesser shot and how when you're so proud of the product that you're making, that must be really quite difficult. Yeah, there are cultural things yeah. at play as well, aren't there? You know, yeah. like like most of the world wants the beer at sort of uh, two to four degrees or something very cold. And in the UK, we do if it's uh, keg and fizzy, mm. like a lager. But if it's cask beer, you want it a bit warmer. You know, you mm. want it between... Um, let's say six and eight or six and 10 degrees. Um, and that's just a stylistic thing, isn't it? Similarly, if you go to Germany, they wouldn't dream of not giving you any head on a lager. You know, you right. get a, you want a foaming yeah. pint because that sort of is, is the way they're used to it. It signifies freshness, a lot of the flavours in the head. If you give someone half a glass of foam in the beer in the UK, they'd, <laughs> they'd be go ballistic, wouldn't they? They'd be straight back to the bar. And yeah. I think it's similar with coffee. You know, the Americans love their coffee, but it, it's horrible, isn't it? Oh. The way they drink it, you know, and... And obviously, I know much of the world, Italy and Brazil and stuff, drink more than anything else, extremely small espresso yeah. shots. And they pile the sugar in as well. They'll have like five sugars in a very small espresso. And they and they drink it like people used to smoke cigarettes. There's one every, one every hour or something. Yeah. So it's not the same in all cultures, is it? So I don't think... 
I think everywhere develops the way it likes to consume its product. And I've always been a big believer in never being too preachy about what people like. You know, who who are you to tell someone what's yeah. what's good or what's bad? And I know it's the same with. Um, to go back to the beer in the stadium not everyone wants our beer not everyone yeah. likes it for whatever reason but i'm yeah. not i don't have to try and convert them i'm yeah. happy enough that some people do you know it's that's just the way of the world as far as i'm concerned you know as long as we do as much as we can to make the beer flavorful and taste good to us and um you know and offer good value in product i think that's as much as we can do really So when you started out, you won some award, some fabulous awards, didn't you, right at the start? We d- yeah, we did. We were lucky, really. And I, I do think it, it was kind of luck, although I think that whole package of, of doing the branding well and offering mm. offering people something that looked new and you, you've sort of done half the job if, you, if you're sort of speaking to people's minds before they've tasted it. You know, if you're giving them, some, them something appealing or intriguing, then the, the senses yeah. are heightened when they, when they taste it, aren't they? And... And, um, I, mean, I perhaps- love that actually what you've said there about it being intriguing because for me um, you know when we're talking about buying into a brand a personal brand a business brand it's that experience and that that word intriguing straight away it, dra- it draws you in doesn't it yeah well um, you know all consumer products and particularly food and drink are very sort of personal aren't they you're gonna like you're gonna <laughs> consume it put it in your body you want you want it everything to be right with it don't you and that's why you have favorite restaurants or you know, you're aligned to certain products and stuff. And I think I was just quite aware of that. I'd done, I'd been involved in branding in the family business and, and always sort of responded to brands. And I'm quite loyal to brands, I think. And that's what I wanted with, with the beer. I wanted to create something that would appeal to another me, really, or, or other people mm. of are, of my age group who would who would sort of um, like what we did. And luckily enough, they did. Yeah, after, after the first, I think it was six months, we won... Um, we were voted second best new brewery in the world on a, on a on an independent rating it's incredible. site. Incredible! You must have. Well, it was it was amazing, but I don't really know how many ratings there were. But I mean, it's like a like a TripAdvisor yeah. award. They're amazing, aren't they? You know, we yeah. get them at the tap room, and I'm thrilled yeah. with those as well because because it's the real life people's experiences, yeah. you know. And this was the same with the beer. So however many thousand people rated our product higher than the other new breweries that year, um, and af- after that, it really yeah, it did really sort of. Um, propel propel the brand you know and, and the mm. phone didn't stop ringing after that really thankfully so how mm. have you i mean so is it this is i'm just doing my sums is it 10th is this your 10th year or yeah we released some it'll be 11th uh, you know in, into 2022 so yeah. we just we released some birthday beers this year but obviously it's been such a disrupted time yeah, what a shame, yeah. the last year um but incredible yeah 10 years since it doesn't it doesn't feel it Really, I mean, although in other in other ways it feels a long time, so it's funny. <laughs> but the last it? two years have felt, or the last eighteen months have probably yeah. felt longer. They've dragged ha- a bit. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, I'll, I'll ask you about how you've responded to the pandemic in a second. But have you felt that you've had to because it is such a strong brand? Um, is that something that you've had to evolve as you've gone along? And obviously, you've brought new products in. Um, is that something that you're constantly working on? Yeah, I've been very lucky, really, to ha- to have Rich, the designer I mentioned earlier, and I kind of leave it, um, I sort of leave it up up to him, really, a bit. I mean, the last um, year or two, certain, certainly so, he, tend, he tends to drive it. And before that, I, to be honest, my job was more about stopping him being creative mm. because people who were who naturally 
um, gifted like he is with the design. It's all about the new, new, new. But I was aware that to establish brands, you need consistency. Absolutely. So if you, if you hit on something that people like, you need to, need to do Stick that for it. a while. Stick with it yeah. for a while. Mm. And then when the moment's right, change it. You know, so we did... We didn't actually do any small pack, any cans or bottles until we moved to the new site in 2015 or, or not any amount to speak of. And we started with a brand then, which was very much more on, if if anyone listening knows the brand, it was much more character based. It was around these sort of little sideshow circus characters, cr mm. creations. I don't know what you call them, really. They didn't all have names or anything. They were, they were weird, weird um, uh, sideshow characters like a ringmaster and this kind of thing. And I think we we lived with that brand for three or four years and just started to feel, I was slightly worried it was too appealing to children a little bit. There okay. was a playfulness that was, you know, my I had I had uh, a pickup at the time that we used for brewery work and we, yeah. we got the decals, put that on the side. Yeah. And I remember driving down the street and the kids had loved looking Love at it, looking it, at the yeah. reflection or people are pointing going past now like, mm, don't want to get into trouble here because the intention That's was really not interesting, the intention actually, was yeah. not to advertise yeah. to children but it was appealing you know mm -hmm. appealing perhaps too much to all ages so we'd moved um he moved it sorry rich did to a more sort of pattern based design which is still very recognizably his design style but mm -hmm. was an updated version really and that that's where we are now and you can see a bit of a hybrid in it the glasses still have yeah. some of the character based stuff but it's more ambiguous they're not finished characters they're just sort of little faces and things but um yeah i, I know other brewers who were our contemporaries got into trouble with um there's a group isn't there the portman group who right. who regulate these things for this for the, it's, i think it's independent but the supermarket subscribe to it and if okay. they uphold a complaint against you from a member of the public it make it can make it difficult so luckily we never had never had one of those well, that so. would just be yeah it, that just doesn't work does it in your no no you need to you can't um annoy the biggest customers really so <laughs> so yeah and it, it's just it's just evolved really but as i say he's very good at, at constantly reinventing it because he's very creative and i think that's what he likes to do but he but he does understand you know the consistency necessary as well it's interesting. I mean, again, I was saying to you downstairs, but um, the there is something about the brand as somebody who isn't a you know isn't one of your customers um, that is so appealing. And I was looking for a gift for a corporate gift for one of my clients this week, and I was thinking, well, what can I send them that's a little bit different? Uh, young guys in their twenties that are really into that into brand and and really sort of creative and all of a sudden I thought, oh yeah, why not? You know, Magic uh, magic Rock and get your mix box mm -hmm. and sent it then with the glass in it. And, and I think that's interesting that it, it goes, actually, I, I didn't know anything about the, uh, do I confess this to you while we're sat here, but I don't know anything about the product within it, mm. but I knew I was buying into something that had something really quite unique about it, which um, I think goes beyond the product, doesn't it? Yeah, and that, and that it's intentional. I mean, we were, we were trying to, or I was trying to create, create with Rich something um, something that people responded to, but they didn't really know why necessarily. Yeah. I mean, obviously they knew why because they wanted a beer probably. They, mm. We know it's beer, but beer's not a new product and, mm. and beer's such a large scale consumer product um, that most things have been tried. So, so it's about, you know, repackaging it to, to appeal to people for whatever for whatever reason, you know, and I wanted it to feel modern and, mm. and sort of um, slightly mysterious. But I think the best word is idiosyncratic, really. It, it is, 
it's intentionally idiosyncratic so that you you respond in a you feel like you want it, but you're not not sure why really. And then, so all I was trying to do with that was pique people's interest enough to buy it or, yeah. or open it, and then the product would ful- so, fulfill the um, yeah. fulfill the sort of purchase, if you like. And they go, oh, that is good. I like that. Yeah. So, and and again, it's not. Um, I mean, our brand is new, but the ideas are, are. You know, I saw what was going on in America, and I liked some of that branding, and I thought, oh, why do I like it? And asked myself those questions, and it was kind of hard hard to define really it's like why do you like a particular artist or yeah. or cartoon style or yeah. or yeah. clothes design it's just personal taste isn't it but um yeah we went went down a route that wasn't too obvious let's say it was quite it was you know make of it what you will hopefully you'll try it and you'll enjoy the product what are your favorite brands then putting you on the spot here now oh god um <laughs> i mean i'm i've been asked this question before really and i think i it's difficult, really, because successful branding is 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 very um, it's a it's a very wide thing we're talking about, isn't it? It's anything that's memorable, yeah. really, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. And I love I love the heritage stuff in in beer particularly, but I don't mm. know whether that's because I love the product. You know, I mentioned yeah. Timothy Taylor's. I love Landlord and and the way they sort of make that look. And they just redesigned theirs a, a year or two back, and I was like, oh, don't do it. You know, keep it historic, mm. but. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's a tricky question, really. That isn't it. I don't know whether whether it's it's the product because of what it represents you like, or it's mm. the ultimately just just the look of the of of the brand, you know, the design work in itself. So, I mean, uh, very early beer stuff is stuff like Bass. You know, the red, mm. the red triangles, the first. I think it's the first trademark ever recorded that. Really? Wow. that yeah, so you yeah. can see branding and beer have got a long, mm. long held history, haven't they? Um, yeah, I'll come back to the other one. Let me have a think. Have a think about it as yeah. we're talking then. I saw something on LinkedIn before uh, this morning, <clears> and that was talking about brand voice and how, um, and somebody had taken Apple and translated yeah. their brand voice into the innocent smoothie oh, brand right. voice. Yeah, right. And it was really clever. Yeah. And it was so clear how you couldn't get to, so innocent is so chatty and so warm and yeah. a little bit cheeky. And Apple's that cool confident um, a little bit uh, challenging Mm -hmm. maybe and it was very clever how they'd taken some of the adverts and took you know use the different brand voices for both of the adverts and that is something that I think when we're talking about brand whether it's a business brand or a personal brand that that comes back to that consistency so it's become so consistent that people know exactly what it is and I would have thought there will be people that for example, walk into the John Smith Stadium and see your branding on the wall and straight away, even if they just saw a section of it, would know that it's Magic Rock. Um, And I think that is what's so powerful, isn't it, when it is consistent like that. And, you know, it's like if you've seen adverts before when they just show you one slight bit of the yellow M of McDonald's and everybody knows exactly what it is. No, exactly, yeah. And it's really important, isn't it, to not mess with that kind Mm. of stuff. I mean, we... Um, I remember in the early days when me and Richard just just conceptualised it and we'd be trying to do events and stuff and people would be would be getting hold of the logo and chopping it up and I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't mess with the logo, leave the drip there. And it, it sounds really sort of petty, doesn't it? But as you said, it's crucial if you ask me. You can't, it has to be consistent. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't get hold of the Coca-Cola logo and decide you were going to remove the the strip thing off the bottom yeah. or, or the swoosh off a yeah. Nike thing, would you? It, it's part and parcel of 
of the thing. And um, nowadays, um, obviously, we have brand guidelines. All all businesses businesses with brands of value, you, you have a booklet. You give someone say, that's how we treat our logo and our type and our font, mm. etc. And please don't deviate from it. But but when I when I started, I was aware that that was important, really. And and I was lucky that Rich, the designer, had come from a commercial design background, mm. so he had worked for some, you know, done some stuff for some sportswear firms and this kind of thing. So that was, he had that sensibility. He knew the way that he presented and, and that it was very important to, to continue on that, on that track. But I, I like all, all branding really. I know I'm always looking sort of as I'm, as I'm walking around and, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. But then I think as you say, it's, then it'll like destroy me if you go into the place and they've changed the brand on it. <laughs> Or they've done something completely different. I'm like, well, you've, you've messed it up there. You've you had yeah. the opportunity to show you were consistent and you were on top of what you were trying to present and you changed it. And uh, I'm listening to myself here. I sound quite sound quite anal, but that's just the way my brain works, I think. Well, well, at that point, I, I must just share that when I arrived today, uh, Richard said, I, I won't be a second, Deborah. I've just got to fix this fridge. And and I think that was wonderful in that sort of 10 years on, it's still your baby and you're still that, <laughs> um, you know, you, you're still that business owner that came in there and wanted everything to be just right, which is that consistency again, isn't it? Yeah, I think whenever I visit any of our venues, and, and as I said before, I'm not, obviously I'm not the owner anymore, but the, the brand's yeah. obviously still close to me and, I'm better now, but whenever I came into our tap rooms, I would find it hard to be hard to relax because I'd mm. just be listening to the mm. to the people and the comments, you know. Mm. And mm. and then you're trying to filter out what's fair and what's not fair. But obviously, thing things like no soap in the toilet that needs jumping on straight away, or this table's sticky, this you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I just think a lot of people have those thoughts, and then they just let them pass. They don't they don't act on yeah. them, you know. And obviously, when you're involved, you you've got the ability to act, haven't you? So this this uh, fridge now says was ticking away I'm thinking those people <laughs> sat there must be well annoyed like I, it, I wouldn't be relaxing listening to that and perhaps they'd have got home and and not enjoyed it as much of the as you know as they should have done and, and might not have even realized it was the fridge that was annoying them so I thought right I'll fix that so <laughs> it's it, that attention to detail isn't it so how much so just and we've gone all over the place with this conversation which is quite usual on this <clears> podcast but um so you mentioned there you are no longer the owner. Lion came in and bought you in, was it 2015? No, 19. 19, yeah. got my dates wrong there. <clears throat> and there was a lovely line, I'm just going to read that. Um, I've, I've mentioned before when we've had a conversation that really sort of struck me that when you first came across them, they said uh, they met you at an exhibition or a trade show and Richard and his team seemed to be having a whole lot more fun than anybody else. And, and I thought that was wonderful. And at that point, they thought, yeah, absolutely, this is, this is the business that we want to buy. And, and that fascinates me because I am all about the people and, and, and how that translates. So how much of that is part of the business that you've grown i think we like a lot of small businesses and we experience we were very fortunate to experience quite quick growth it's exciting for people you know and, and the drinks business is obviously all about socializing as well yeah. so there's a lot of opportunity for people to go out together yeah. and we did build quite a family a family feel to it yeah. i suppose um whether or not we were having more fun than anyone else, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Perhaps we were just good at telling telling people on social yeah, media, yeah. And, and they picked up on it. But the whole craft beer industry is very much, um, obviously, wrapped around socialising and events and stuff. And 
and it's a lot of fun, you know. I, I'm sure anyone listening to this will will um, will be surprised I say this, but it was also really it's also quite difficult, you know, as you, especially as you get older. You know, who wants hangovers <laughs> like guaranteed hangovers two or three times a week if if yeah. you can avoid them, and and a lot of traveling as well uh, when you've got young kids and stuff. So I. I sort of by the time we were approached and we we didn't go looking for investment, we we were approached. You know, by the time that had happened, I think I'd had my fill. Really, you know, I probably in the early days I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! I'm going to be able to drink beer and not pay for any of it for the rest of my and life." Travel but, and go to fabulous parties and events. Yeah, but after a few years, it's you know you can yeah. have too much of a good yeah. thing. So um, then the staff got to do it, you know, and, and you, you we had a team and an events team and a marketing team, and they tend to attend. They will attend the events these days, so they have a lot of fun, and and I think it is it's common to the industry. Really, it's an industry where passion's super important, you know. And I think we're trying to maintain some of that passion in the approach, even though we've got new owners, you know, now, which which makes um, which changes a lot of things in the background. You know, I think big beer um, and big companies aren't sort of they don't go into things with perhaps the same. Um, obviously, they they'd be a bit more profit-driven or results-driven, mm. let's say. Um, and, but they want the feel of a small brewery. You know, they want to ape that within mm. within what they're creating. And I think, obviously, there are big businesses now who would purport to do that, wouldn't they? Your apples and these kind of peoples. It's it's more about the work experience. And, and Lion have given us things that we would have never had before as well, like, you know, lots of... Uh, D&I training and safety stuff that yeah. we needed you know I was I was worried that we were getting to the size of business where we were one accident away from the whole thing falling over and, and you know it's it's a, a dangerous business it's pressure and hot liquids chemicals and we mm. I think we needed infrastructure and so when the opportunity came it was ultimately it was it was too good to miss up on uh, to turn down really but it's um it's meant it's meant things are different now. We still do have good fun, and hopefully, anyone who visits the tap rooms can can feel they're not particularly different. You know, there's a good um, customer first sort of ethos, and and there's there's fun around what we do. Um, so yeah, I think that's continued definitely. And how was it for you? Because you know, as we've said, you you're an entrepreneur. You set this business up. You you worked in the family business, <clears> and then all of a sudden. After oh, I, can't, I really can't do my sums now. After eight years, eight years, yeah. After eight years, you know, huge Australian business comes in and takes over. It, it was. It's been weird to be honest. Obviously, amazing, like mm. securing my family's future and and um, and the feeling of uh, achievement that it mm. that it gave me. But then the change is obviously difficult to uh, manage as well mentally and and uh you know I'm I'm not going to complain obviously I was incredibly fortunate what happened what happened to us and and I knew as well that it would be very um there would be a period of upheaval and it'd be very disruptive to everyone but you know I got together with the shareholders and and everyone everyone wanted to do it so at that point you sort of start framing in your head the narrative of of you know let's let's really be clear on the reasons of, of why it's happening and some of which I've mentioned and what it could mean for the future and I was lucky enough to get some get good advice off a few people you know I spoke to um to Dean Hoyle uh, the ex-chairman I hope he wouldn't mind me mentioning and he was very much up you know don't expect it to make you happy you've mm-hmm. got to you've got to you've got to be quite 
ruthless in your reasoning that it's the right thing to do but it will be tough on you as well as as well as mm. obviously incredibly amazing thing to happen to anyone mm. to be mm. able to sell a business so yeah it's uh, it's been different and and it, it continues to be so obviously a year after we sold the pandemic hit which again you're like oh my god that's very fortunate that we've that we've got this infrastructure behind us now to hopefully weather this thing and mm. and the skills and um within the wider business to, to manage the situation so very fortunate with that you know and it, it's not lost on me that if if we'd have been selling a year after yeah. it probably wouldn't have happened yeah. i don't think yeah. so yeah the timing so for the that. timing was was um very fortuitous yeah yeah i know we we had a conversation um when it was huddersfield business week didn't we when you were on the panel and i was hosting and one of the things that we talked about then was the change in um, during the pandemic and, and how you had to very swiftly change from being hospitality venues to uh, being able to have product available for people to drink at home. Do you think that is a trend that will change long term now? Um, I mean, I, personally, I hope not. I think mm. the best place to, to, to drink alcohol is, is in a supervised surrounding, in a in a pub or a bar. And I think... I think the, I often feel like the reasons why that's the case is lost on people really, and it's it's as much about, it's about community Absolutely. and and socialising mm. with people mm. you wouldn't usually socialise with. Yeah. That's incredibly important, you know. I think the pandemic obviously has meant everyone having to sort of uh, re, you know re, retreat into their own homes and and you have a lack of social contact. And I think it, it's really brought it home to me how much better you feel for a good chat with someone or, or you know, going out going out with your friends. And I just I just feel like it's a shame, really, that we've moved away. Perhaps people were drinking too much in the 60s and 70s, but it's a shame we've, we seem to have lost so many of our pubs and venues um, because they are, you know, the hub, the hub of a lot of places, especially around here in the villages and stuff, you know, that's where you would find out about you, what was happening with, you know, you, your son's friends group or, yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think it's still, it's still key, you know, but, um, I think successive government governments now seem keen to push, push the supermarkets as, as who they want to, um, you know, be the, be the people who sell us alcohol, alcoholic products. And I, I do think it's, it's a shame really. And it, it, felt unfair to me at the beginning beginning of the pandemic obviously uh, in the industry we're in half of the business is uh off trade so that's products to be sold uh, to be drunk at home mm-hmm. uh, off premise essentially off-premise, and yeah. half of it is on on trade which would be bars pubs restaurants etc and I, I just thought it was unfair that the supermarkets were able to continue trading when the small shops weren't you know and i know it changed after a while and there would have been reasons for it but we the uptake in sales to supermarkets we saw was incredible really yeah. and it's not it's this year is nothing like as much as it was last okay. year and they've obviously made incredible profits off the back of it um and i mean it's just the way the world works isn't it i just i just i'm hope i'm hopeful it hasn't changed people's habits too much and i think perhaps um where you know pubs have shut locally perhaps some of them deserve to as well and they've been they've been exchanged for nicer bars or restaurant experiences that are a bit more inclusive. So I just, I just think it's important for people to socialize and drink responsibly, but do it with other people. Cause that's where it's best, isn't it? 
yeah, and I suppose one of the positives from the pandemic, there aren't many other, but is how we've realised how much we do need that community. Yeah. And um, again, just going back to Wired, one of the things that I talked with Oliver and Katie about on the podcast was they were so much more than just a coffee shop in that even when we, when they couldn't be open, they still served on a Sunday where they could open, take and there would be people in the village stood chatting, socially distanced, of course, but stood chatting and, and you realise very quickly when, you know, it's like anything, isn't it? Once it's taken away, we realise how much, how much we need it. So, so what does, um, what does the future hold then? What does the future hold for Magic Rock? What does the future hold for Richard? I mean, as far as magic, well, I'll do magic rock first. We just, we're just going to keep on trying to, you know, trying to get more people the opportunity to taste the beers, really. So there's a lot of infrastructure being put in behind the scenes for for the UK uh, bigger business that we're part of now, and so there's there's more sales teams. There's you know we're actively out in the market. Um, selling it to pubs and restaurants and bars and obviously the longer the pandemic goes on that's the harder that is but we we're trying to do that and we've teams um working with supermarkets and bigger buyers as well um obviously we've got the football thing and we're becoming a different business you know a bigger entity or an entity that's ready to grow at least you know we're not massively larger in volume than we were when when the sale happened three years ago but we have got more wherewithal and more ability to grow now I think we've more structure in place ultimately so I'm hopeful over the next few years people will see it around more and more you know I suppose um, it's really nice doing things like this where where you you love what we've done but we're I'm aware that you know it's probably only I think it's like five or seven in every hundred people in the country know who we are you know we're, we're still small we're not really known I mean we're known uh, in this small area that that we call home aren't we and, yeah. and I think that's really important I think that's the best place to grow it but hopefully people outside the area will get to know us more as well uh, as far as I'm concerned I'm still helping the the business still working in the business um, albeit more in an ambassadorial capacity these days so I get wheeled out to tell my story and and speak <laughs> and speak no, no don't apologize I, it's it's great you know, and and speak to the supermarket buyers or, or things I really enjoy, you know, like helping with the Huddersfield Town deal. And I'm still involved with the leadership uh, team and, and trying to, you know, help give them the benefit of the of the period I had in business and what I feel uh, it was that, that people enjoyed about what we were doing. So I'll continue to do that. And then I'll, I'm potentially potentially going to get involved in hospitality businesses, I think. Mm. I feel like that's... Um, I feel like that's where I can add the most value. It's obviously where I've had some success, although it wasn't purely hospitality. We were a manufacturing business, you know, but don't really fancy running running breweries anymore particularly. It's <laughs> a lot of yeah. spinning plates yeah. involved, but I would quite like to get involved more in, you know, pubs and, and bars and stuff. So, we're, so we'll see. I haven't got anything concrete at the moment, really. But, um, but yeah. yeah. Excited, you know. One of the, uh, when mm. I was doing some research beforehand, there was a lovely line I saw that um, when you move moved premises to the tap room in in Huddersfield, moved the brewery mm-hmm. to uh, Berkeley there, that you put some of the crystals in the concrete. So there was a bit of the crystals in the concrete, and I just wonder if if and when the day you do walk away, uh, you know, what is it that you would want? What bit of Richard would you want left within Magic Rock? You know, those values. What is it that is 
Because I think when you own a business, when you start a business, we all pour so much of ourselves into it, don't they? What is it that you want your legacy, I suppose, to be in, in Magic Rock? I would hope it was attention to detail, you know, just, just making sure, as I mentioned earlier, like annoying things that can be fixed quickly are sorted out. Um, and I think that's where I feel like hospitality, it doesn't spoil my experience of going out, but I notice straight away if things are slightly wrong. And I think we're, I think we're poor as it, when, when it comes to the service industry in this country. You know, after, when I've spent time in America and other places, yeah. you'll know it's, it's much more about the customer and they're, on, they're much more on top of it. And I think we just put up with poor service in general in this country. And I hope when people visit a Magic Rock venue, they get served quickly. The staff are pleasant to them friendly they don't feel like a you know like a spare part in the transaction or like something or it's assumed it's assumed that you owe us money for what you're getting it's mm. it, it doesn't feel like that everywhere else and that's what i'd hope would would carry on but as i say i think i could potentially do that in some other businesses as well maybe but um yeah you know i think the simple things just we need to be better at the simple things everywhere i think in this country it's a wider conversation but it yeah. is, but the minute I walked in this morning, uh, this afternoon when I walked in to meet you, it was a, and it's a big thing for me, that smile as you walk in, because mm. every business is about people at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and the girls behind the bar caught my eye, they smiled, and I was acknowledged the minute I walked in, and, well, the second I walked in. And for me, that, that's a sign of a good venue, because at the end of the day, you want to feel that you're welcome somewhere, don't you? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great to hear that you were, and I absolutely agree, you know, and I just think some people get into particularly hospitality businesses that just aren't cut out for it. And I don't think they realise until years later that they're miserable and they don't really like talking to other people, you know, or, or welcoming other people. And I think it's crucial, isn't it, in uh, that you've got that, that, you know, the type of character that's welcoming and, and you know, can recognise that people have a choice. They don't have to come and drink the beer here. There's lots of other places around so what are you going to do that's that's better you know and it's it's about being friendly and and hoping that they'll come back and in, enjoy enjoy what you give them I think um yeah it's just a, it's a bit of a bugbear really I think there's so much of it in this country you know you go to the petrol station and sometimes spend what 80 90 quid on filling a tank and the person behind the counter won't even look at you and you're like this is just ridiculous really we should have yeah. started talking about this at the beginning. <laughs> we could have done a full podcast yeah. on this because it's one of my bugbears <clears throat> as yeah. well. Oh, yeah, it's something when you, it's as if we don't want to serve in this country. Yeah, we yeah, have I'd a agree, real yeah. issue. And I, I think when you go on the continent, even I know people will say that sometimes if you go to Paris, people will be unfriendly. But you you go on the continent, and they're proud to serve you in the hospitality industry. It's seen as a uh, virtually is a profession isn't it yeah it's a career isn't it yeah, in a lot yeah. in um in a lot of countries and it certainly it's not seen as that here is it and no. that's obviously witness to the issues we're having now that we've lost a lot of uh, foreign labor with brexit as mm. well and there are shortages in a lot of hospitality you know we spend a, quite a lot Absolutely. of time mm. in the dales um in the, over the last year because we, we've been doing a property up there and a lot of the pubs are really struggling for people and as a result having to reduce service and it's sad isn't it and then hopefully they stay open because ultimately those businesses will fail if, if someone goes and has a bad experience because they're not able to staff it that week they won't come back will they and yeah, it's, and it's word it's of mouth sad. then. It yeah, is, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Richard. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. 
I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of On Brand With, I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review and subscribe to help other people know we exist. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production.